It's like a round robin here. We've got a lot of things going on this morning. We're just glad that you're worshiping with us. If you're here for the very first time, you're online. I know we have some folks that are here for the baptism, some here for the children's program. Maybe some got in on both, and that's good. Uh, welcome. Thank you for joining us. We're just grateful that you're worshiping with us this morning. Uh, those who are online, we're grateful for you as well. I just uh, wanted to give you a couple of things with regard to this baptism. We had the children's program. Now we've got two young people, and I'm excited for each of them uh, to join us today in this statement, this testimony of baptism. I want to kind of introduce it because the way we do it may not be familiar with the way you are familiar with baptism or mean what it means to you. So I have a little quiz for you this morning. I'm going to show you a picture, and then I want you to, to tell me what the picture, picture represents. So, okay, let's, let's, uh, let's see the first one there. Okay, everybody know what that represents? Okay, a little tough. Okay, you got that one, McDonald's. How about the next one? All right, pretty easy. Okay, this next one might be a little more difficult. Next one. Okay, so the reason I give you the pictures is because each of these symbols represents something other than the symbol, right? Uh, this, the symbol just brings to mind what it really represents. So the, so the Golden Arches is not a McDonald's store, but it represents a, a McDonald's restaurant, right? Um, we have two young people uh, that are going to be baptized, and their baptism is in the same way or similarly a symbol, okay? It's the a symbol that is representing a reality. It's not the reality, but it represents the reality. When the, when the Philippian jailer and his family were baptized in Acts chapter uh, 16, it was after having believed in God with his whole household, the text says. So we believe at Creekside Church that baptism is a testimony that is made by those who are already the children of God that they've believed, having believed in the name of the Lord Jesus, uh, that they're, they're baptized. Baptism is commanded in, in the scriptures, the step of obedience as we're making disciples, as someone who becomes a Christian. And so the symbol announces that the person is a believer, but it does not accomplish their salvation. Okay, so it's a declaration that they're a child of God. I was visiting with a, a neighbor the other day, and he actually was talking to me about his baptism. He says, yeah, I was baptized when I was about 10 or 12 years old, and I, I showed up for the baptism, and I walked up on the stage, and, uh, and then all of a sudden the, the stage opened up, and there was this tank there, and, and I got baptized. And I said, you didn't know you were going to go into a tank to be baptized? He goes, no, I didn't know. And I'm like, well, uh, that's kind of a shock. Uh, so I don't want any of you to be shocked. Uh, Rose and Cade will be baptized in a tank, okay? Uh, they're going to get all wet. And uh, the reason they get all wet is because we believe that the, the symbol should represent the reality. And so we teach and believe the Scripture teaches that, that baptism is an outward and physical symbol of the internal and spiritual reality that they are united with Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection by means of their faith. And so when they go down into the water and come up out of the water, they're physically and visibly symbolizing that they have identified with Christ in his death, 
and his burial and his resurrection. So that's exactly what we're trying to do here today. And if you have any questions about that, you're confused by that, you don't understand that, I would be glad to talk to you. Uh, Mark, who gave the announcement, would be glad to talk to you. Uh, you can get a hold of me and any one of the elders would be glad to talk to you. So here's kind of how it's going to go down. Um, uh, Rose is going to come in a moment. And she's going to share her testimony. And then we're going to uh, sing uh, Amazing Grace. And then Cade will come and he'll share his testimony. And then the two of them will make their way back through that door. And uh, Cade's dad and I will be back there waiting for them. And then we will baptize them in that order. Rose will be baptized first and then Cade. Okay? And then, so that's, uh, that's how it's going to go down. So, Rose, you're on. Hello, Creekside. My name is Rose Vanderlinden, and um, I have decided to get baptized today and to share my testimony. It's a lot like your guys', except I was adopted from India at the age of two and a half, and I grew up in a Christian home by my parents who were over there, Tom and Tracy, and they have raised me um, in a loving Christian home. And um, I've been told I was very stubborn, and I still am. And so I think that's a part of why it's taken me so long to realize that I need to get baptized. And um, I want to thank my whole family for coming and watching me. couple announcements that I uh, forgot to make when I was up here before. Uh, Shens, which is the group of our 65 and olders, you're having a party this next Saturday, so there's a sign-up sheet out on the Welcome Center, so you can sign up and, and get ready for that. Also, just want to remind you of something that will actually announce that uh, the, the elders have uh, signed off and want to promote, at least acknowledge, that there's a, a group around the country called Inspire, and they've gone around to public schools, and they're praying for the schools and the teachers and for the, the stuff that happens as students. And so tonight at 7 p.m. at the Clive Learning Academy, which is on 73rd Street, there's a gathering of people who, if you're interested, to join us there together to pray uh, for the school, for the teachers, for the students, and just to uh, pray for them and for God's blessing on them as well. So I just wanted to call your attention to that. A lot of other announcements, uh, you can read them in the bulletin, and uh, we sure appreciate that. Uh, I invite you to pray with me if you would. Father in heaven, I thank you uh, to see these young people up here uh, singing praise to God. And my prayer, Lord, is that the things that they're singing would become truthful realities in their hearts that they would not just be words on their lips, but that the fruit of their lips would give praise to you from their hearts. I ask that you would continue to work in their lives, to draw them to yourself, and that each one of them would grow up to know you, to fear you, to honor you, and to serve you with all of who they are. 
I thank you for Rose and Cade, and I thank you for their testimony, their boldness to say to the world, I'm a follower of Jesus, and to do so in a public way. I pray that you'd use that act to solidify in their own hearts their commitment to Christ. And I pray now as we study your word that you would open our eyes, that we might behold wonderful truths from your law, wonderful truths that are not just informing us, but transforming us into the image of Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Over the years I had the privilege of leading some short-term mission trips to other countries, and one of the things we did when we were there is we held what's called an evangelistic English language camp, which we used the Bible to teach non-native English speakers how to speak English. That was one of the tools we used. And we had one of our uh, guys who was a, from the church who went, and his, uh, his little motto for his class was, No mercy. Uh, he wanted to instill in his students the fear of God that somehow he was not going to cut them any slack, that they needed to, to buck up and they needed to be really drilled down on what they were doing. He, he wanted to intimidate them. And it was all really in good fun, but uh, he, seri- he was somewhat serious, but he wasn't totally serious. He didn't just hold them to that absolutely, but he really wanted them to buckle down and grasp what he taught. Well, this morning, as we look into the scriptures, we're going to be looking at not a non-certified English teacher. We're going to look at the master teacher, our Lord Jesus. And what the master teacher, the Lord Jesus, had to say uh, to his disciples as he set his face uh, towards Jerusalem. As he set his face in the last few days of his life to, to walk to Jerusalem, he wanted his disciples to buckle down. And he wanted them to grasp fully who he was. They wanted, he wanted them to understand his, his real identity and the sacrificial mission that he was calling them to so that they would know what, what he was about. And so <clears throat> I've kind of taken off on uh, my, my former mission partner's little thing and, and, and said that Jesus' motto was no mercy, uh, but K-N-O-W, mercy, not N-O mercy okay Jesus wanted them to know mercy just like he wants us to know mercy and his final miracle before his passion before his crucifixion he gave us an illustration and also an incarnation of his previous kingdom instructions which was primarily summarized by greatness through service Greatness through service. We've seen this as we looked in Matthew chapter 20. And for those of you who are joining us, it's kind of like you're getting in on the, uh, the, the after story a little bit. But it's, it's been about the first shall be last and the last shall be first. And Jesus is now illustrating and incarnating that the, the first will be last in dealing so that the last can be first in using his divine power to serve a blind man, two blind men actually, On his way to be crucified, Jesus showed the depth of his compassion on hurting people. And so as we look at Matthew chapter 20, and I'm in Matthew chapter 20 and verses 29 through 34, if you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to open there if you want to use your phone or whatever device you might have, or if you reach under the seat in front of you, there should be a Bible somewhere close, Matthew chapter 20. In these verses 29 through 34 we see three steps of Jesus exposing Jesus mercy three steps exposing his mercy that I think are intended to provide us comfort with 
and compel us to seek His mercy, but also to convince us that we should live holy lives, godly lives, lives like Jesus did, with compassion, grace, and kindness. And so I'm going to read the text, verses 29 through 34, and then we'll unpack these uh, three steps that, in the process of exposing His mercy. Here we have it in Jesus, it says in verse 29, And as they were going out from Jericho, a great multitude followed him. And behold, two blind men sitting by the road, hearing that Jesus was passing by, cried out, saying, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And the multitude sternly told them to be quiet, but they cried out all the more, saying, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And Jesus stopped and called them and said, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Lord, we want you to open our eyes. And moved with compassion, Jesus touched their eyes, and immediately they gained their sight and followed him. First of all, that we see what happens is that the mercy of God is unleashed when we genuinely request his mercy. Now, the setting is they're headed up to Jerusalem from Jericho. And Jesus, along with the twelve, are making their trek. And again, this is Jesus on the way to the cross. He's going to be crucified. And a great multitude followed him. A great multitude of people consisting of some of his followers, but also just regular folks who didn't really know about Jesus or care about Jesus, but they're on their way to the Passover. They're going to celebrate the Passover in, in Jerusalem. It's kind of like, uh, you know, going to the state fair. There's just mobs of people just walking along, and you get lost in the crowd. And so we have these two guys who were on the outskirts of the crowd along the roadside as beggars, and the crowd is cutting them off, so to speak. And they're beggars, and Mark tells us in Mark 10, 46, the identity of one of them is blind Bartimaeus. Okay, so we know one of the guys, and probably he was the most vocal. That's maybe why he was mentioned. We don't know for sure, but he was one of them that was mentioned. And though they were blind, and you, you've heard this before, right? If you lose one of your senses, some of your other senses pick up the slack. And so the text tells us they were blind, but they could hear really well. The text says in verse, two that, or verse 30 that they, were, they heard hearing that Jesus was coming along. So they were hearing that Jesus was coming, and so they were aware of what was going on. And as the, uh, as the events unfold, there's three indications of their sincerity that seem to trigger Jesus' act of mercy, all right? And similarly, I think, will trigger his acts of mercy towards us, towards our pleas, towards our prayers. First of all, there's our acknowledgement of Jesus' identity. As the great crowd was passing by, they were crying out. Top of their lungs without hesitation, without intimidation. I mean, everybody else is just marching along and they're crying out. They desperately believed that the last hope that they had for being cured was walking away. That's it. If he's gone, we're done. We're, we're stuck. We're rat. Physically, as MacArthur puts it aptly, physically they could see nothing, but spiritually they saw a great deal. What they said reveals what they believed about the person and the work of Jesus. Notice in verse 30, it says, they cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. Verse 31, same phrase. Lord, 
Have mercy on us, son of David. Verse 33, Lord. They understood who Jesus was. To say Lord coupled with son of David means that they understood that Jesus was the promised son of David who would sit on the throne of David, given promise given in 2 Samuel chapter 7, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and verse 7, Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, that he was the one who was coming to sit on the throne of David who would rule his kingdom. And that not only was he one from a human standpoint who would sit on the throne, but as Lord, he was the sovereign Lord. He was both human and divine. Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. They understood who he was. And they understood that as the son of God, he was able. And I wonder, as, I, as you listen, as you sit here, do you understand who Jesus is? That he is both son of God in the flesh and son of God, savior of the world. That he is the king. And see, it's our understanding of Jesus' identity that really informs our prayers. It informed their prayers. They understood a couple of things about Jesus. They understood that when, we, that when we, they prayed, and we should understand when we pray, that Jesus is concerned about our prayers. He really does care. It really does matter what we say to the Lord. In Psalm 72, we see this, uh, verses 12 and 14, uh, for he that is the Lord, he will save the needy. When he cries for help, the afflicted uh, and the afflicted also, and him who has no helper, he will have compassion on the poor and the needy, and he will save the lives of the needy. He will rescue their life from oppression and violence, and their blood will be precious in his sight. Cares about what you're going through, what I'm going through, what these blind beggars are going through. And he's also capable. He's not just a person who cares, but he can do something about it. He's capable. He has the power of God to do something. They trusted Jesus to meet their need. Now, we have a little grandson. He just turned two years old. And I'm telling you, when he's in a crowd or when he's even not in a crowd and he hurts himself or something happens and there's a problem, who does he cry out for? dad or mom and with a loud voice he's trying he's crying out to someone who he knows will be concerned someone he knows is capable of helping or he believes is capable that's what we see in these blind beggars i hope and i pray i wonder if that's what we see in our own life we have a god who's concerned and a god who is capable of answering and meeting our needs and secondly we see there is an attitude of humility See, these guys knew that Jesus, that with God all things are possible, which is what Jesus said back in Matthew chapter 19, verse 26. He can even get the rich people into the kingdom of God, <laughs> you know. So there's nothing impossible with God. But they also had this attitude of humility. Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. Coupled with a request for sight as those who had been blind and probably had seen at one time, but says, help recover our sight. You know, they indicates that they were absolutely dependent upon Jesus. They knew that we need Jesus. His divine mercy and not their own merit. They had nothing in themselves that could cure them, and so they needed, they needed Jesus. See, apart from him, there was no answer to their prayer. There was no alleviation to their pain. Mercy is that sympathy or empathy 
of another's condition or circumstance that moves us to action. Jesus, would you have mercy on us? That was their, that was their question. They appealed to Jesus' empathy. To give them the undeserved remedy. I want to emphasize that. It wasn't like they, Jesus owed them. We live in a day and age which is just upsetting to me. Everybody's like, I deserve this. I have a friend who says, we deserve to burn in hell. We have a right to burn in hell, and we have a right to beseech the throne of God, according to Hebrews chapter 4, with boldness. <laughs> That's it. But do we understand that? These guys did. They didn't have anything to come with God. The blind men appealed to Jesus' empathy to provide them the undeserved re remedy for their malady, for their blindness. We need you, Jesus. I wonder, are we willing to admit that we need Jesus? We need your mercy, Lord. We need your grace. Apart from you, I can do nothing. You know, humility has been defined as a proper understanding of who I am in light of who God is. A proper understanding of who I am in light of who God is. It was Karl Marx, and one of his stated goals was to dethrone God. Marx's stated goal, dethrone God. I want to dethrone God. Marx displayed great hubris, great arrogance. These blind men, they didn't want to dethrone God, they enthroned Him. He said, you're, you're God, we're not, and we need your help. We need your help. And Christ, in humility, they did that. And, and so we have Jesus, in sincerity, they called out to him. And here we have the, the greatest, Jesus, the king, on his way to be crucified. Multitude of people there. Jesus is like, okay, I'm stopping here. I'm going to talk to these guys. The least. They were beggars. They were the the despised beggars. They were the people that were told to shut up. You know, we don't, don't bother the master. And yet they said, Jesus stopped. And they, what do you want? Jesus said, you know, he said, Lord, we want you to open our eyes. That's the request. And I would like to suggest that the same Lord who would stop to these blind beggars on his way to the cross is the same Lord who is attentive to our prayers, attentive to our cries, attentive to our Difficulties. And we're saddled by circumstances. And I know that, I mean, I know that some of you are saddled by circumstances. Some of those are, you know, financial challenges. Some of them are spiritual issues, but you're struggling with deals of physical ailments. And, you know, I mean, I've got a list of people we could be praying for, and we have been praying for a list of people with physical ailments. It never ends, right? And there, there's depression, there's marital or, or parenting struggles that, that, that we have. But he's also there to hear the corruption in our hearts and give us mercy when we're, we're struggling with sin, with bitterness and jealousy and envy and resentment and the lack of forgiveness. Hard-heartedness, a critical spirit. He's there to hear and forgive and give us mercy to deal with these things. In Psalm 34, verse 15, the psalmist says, The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous, and His ears are open to their cry. He's waiting for us to cry out. And I ask, will we trust in ourselves or turn intentionally to Christ and ask Him for mercy? For Him mercy. To aid our deficiency. See, the blind men knew their deficiency. The problem for me is I don't always know my deficiency. I'm not always aware of my... Oh, other people are. You know, I mean... 
My wife certainly is, but I'm not always aware of it. But when I become aware of it, am I willing to say, Lord, have mercy on me? Because apart from your mercy, I only deserve your judgment and your wrath. But he's also to aid us, not just in these issues, but ultimately and more importantly, in the ultimate issue of our heart condition. Lord, have mercy on me, for I am a sinner. Hebrews 4 says we should come boldly before the throne of grace that we might obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. And for every one of us who has been born a human being, our greatest need is reconciliation with God. And the scripture says that that's our greatest deficiency. And Paul declares that apart from Christ, we are dead in our trespasses and our sins. And by nature, we're children of wrath. That means we deserve his wrath. But God, being rich in mercy, is willing to show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. That's Philippians chapter 2, or Ephesians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. I don't know about you, have you ever pled with God for mercy that you might escape his judgment by coming into his family like Rose and Cade testified today that they're members of his family and children. Apart from the blood of Christ, Applied as the payment for our sin, we stand condemned. In him, Paul says, we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of our sins. Christ died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. He himself bore our sins in his own body on the cross, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness by his wounds, by his death, we are healed if we believe, 1 Peter 2, 24. So I don't know about you, but the Bible says, whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And so I ask you this morning, have you called upon the name of the Lord? Are you one of his children? He mercifully will welcome you into his family if you will cry out and pray to him. And then the third step, the third thing that triggers is, is the actions of tenacity. I love verse 31. It says, and the multitude sternly told the crowd, told them to be quiet. Do you understand if you read through the scriptures and the gospel of Jesus, the crowd is usually wrong. Okay? So you kind of want to go against the crowd when you're around Jesus. Okay? Go with Jesus, not the crowd. And they said, just be quiet. But they didn't be quiet. They cried out all the more, Jesus, have mercy on us, son of David. Detestable beggars were tenacious. And you know what? God encourages us to be tenacious. There's a parable that's triggered by uh, what the statement in Luke chapter 18, verse 1. Okay, in Luke 18, verse 1, it says, how he was telling them a parable to show that at all times he ought to pray and not become discouraged. <laughs> Just keep praying, you know? Just be like that little lady who kept pestering the lawyer. Go to court for me. Go to court for me. Go to court for me. And the Lord, you know, say, well, that doesn't sound very spiritual. Well, it's in the Bible. Jesus said, pray, keep after me. That's what these guys were doing. They just said, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And the Lord had mercy on him, son of David. I know uh, a couple, you don't know them, okay? So I'll call them DNN, okay? Uh, initials are their first names. For years, for years, I knew, I knew them. 
And they prayed, they prayed, they prayed. They had a child that had gone astray from God when that child was a teenager and had walked away from God for years and years and years and years and years. And they prayed and they prayed and they prayed and they prayed for years, for decades, until finally God, in His infinite mercy, reached down and grabbed that young child by the nap of the neck, only they weren't young at that time, and brought them into the kingdom of God. It's our merciful God. He hears our cry. We must request in sincerity. And secondly, then we generously receive his mercy. While uh, anticipating tremendous agony, Jesus is on the way to the cross. He stopped and had pity on two outcasts in society. And his example endears us with two qualities that we see in Jesus. First of all, we see his pity. He was moved with compassion. Literally, the, the, the text in Greek is that his, his, his internal innards were moved, you know, the, 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 his, his guts were, were visibly moved with compassion, okay, empathized and did something about them. I don't know about you, if you heard the news, but earthquake in Haiti, we have, I have a picture, I think, of some of the kids in Haiti uh, that some of our people have been working with, uh, but there was an earthquake. These guys are okay, I guess, the, up in Pion in the area we work with, but I just was texting yesterday with a friend of mine in the southern part of Haiti near where the epicenter was, and there's some devastation there, and there are people, and they're digging them out. You know, I mean, it's, it's not good. You have compassion. When you see these people, you cannot spend time with these little ones who have maybe one meal a day and not have compassion. Be moved in your heart for them. And that's what Jesus was. The king stopped. He listened. And then he touched. And then he healed these beggars. I don't know. I just, he knows our problems. He cares. He'll stop. And he'll listen. And he'll touch us. He touched them as a testimony to his humanity. And he'll, you know, and he doesn't always give us the cure. Sometimes he only gives us the strength to endure and not the cure. Okay, so don't, don't hear me saying that this is, you know, just name the name of Jesus and your problems go away. Sometimes he gives us the strength to endure it and not to cure it. But Christ's compassion moved him to action. And then we see his power. He touched him and immediately. I read this. I'm not sure I haven't investigated it all, but Jesus, it wasn't, no, no prophet, no apostle, no faith healer has caused blindness to be reversed, but Jesus alone, for sure in the Scripture. He did what only God can do. He did what only God can do. And he'll do that in our lives as well. Instantaneous and complete healing. And uh, it's interesting in the other Gospels, in Luke and Mark, it says that your faith has made you well. So they connect the faith to the cure. So that there is this connection between the, their, their faith, their belief, and the cure. And whether or not he ex they exercise it saving faith, uh, the text doesn't go on to say. It seems that that's likely the case, but it doesn't say definitively. It doesn't really matter. The, the point is that if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then he will extend his mercy to you if you cry out sincerely in need and reach into your heart and redeem your soul. He'll remove the spiritual blindness and bring you into his kingdom. If we know Jesus as Lord and Savior, he will extend in his mercy, not always to cure, but always for sure to endure whatever struggle we have. He'll do it to realign us when we're out of sync with him. We plead for his mercy. Lord, help me. I'm being a knucklehead right now, and I know it, but I need your grace to move beyond it. Or to just encourage us in our lives. 
He'll give us the grace and give us the mercy that we need as we plead with Him. And finally, we see that we gratefully respond to that mercy. When mercy is extended, how do they respond? They, they got up and they followed Him. That's what the text says in verse 34. And moved with compassion, Jesus sets their eyes and immediately they regained their sight and followed Him. Glorifying God. How much more should those of us who have experienced His mercy express our gratitude? Not because we're paying Him back. I mean, we can't pay God back. But because we appreciate and feel the love of God, and so out of gratitude, we respond in love to Him who is our King and who is our Lord. You know, I don't know about you, but I, I find comfort in thinking about the fact that Jesus had compassion on just the nobodies, because that's who I am. And I have needs and struggles and challenges, and He's willing to extend mercy to me. And he's willing to extend mercy to you. There's comfort in knowing that the Lord not only will, has the compassion to do it, but he has the capacity to do it. <laughs> he will meet my needs and he'll meet your needs as well. And then I think about those who, you know, don't know Christ. I think, well, think about the compassion of Christ. I mean, you know, just, will you, will you just stop already and, uh, you know, on your own, trying to do it on your own and just lay your efforts down and surrender to the king and say, Lord, I know you can do it. Will you come to the king in faith and search of his mercy and receive it? He'll extend it. He'll give you the mercy to bring you into the kingdom of God if you will give up and on your rebellion and you'll eliminate your resistance and allow him to soften your hard heart. I just can encourage you to do that. And if you know Christ as your Lord and Savior, Whatever adverse situation you're going through, I don't know what it is. But the Lord is compassionate. And he'll hear your cry. He'll minister to you. He'll meet you where you're at. Again, sometimes it's strength to endure. Sometimes it is the cure. But he's there. Because he loves you. And he cares. Come to Jesus for mercy to trust him fully. And then follow him in obedience. Just like Rose and Cave did. Right? Not an easy thing to get up here in front of a group of people and share your testimony and go in there and get all wet and kind of a humiliating experience. And yet they did it because they love Jesus and because they're willing to do it. To speak boldly for Jesus and to live for his glory. That's what God calls us to do. And then to follow his example. How can I not, as a child of God, as a follower of God, how can I not extend compassion to the least of these when my master has done that? For me and as an example for others. And what is the greatest, the, the crowning manifestation of his mercy is uh, the cross of Christ. Where the sinless son of God died in our place and paid the debt that we owe so that all who believe could receive eternal life. I just think about that. You know, he's on his way to the cross. He knows what's waiting for him. Oh, hey, by the way, would you heal my blindness? Sure, sure, I'll do that. And you know what? I think he was giving the, the disciples a, like a like jab in the ribs, you know, because they had just been like, oh, who's going to be sitting on the throne, Jesus? You know, is it John and, and 
Peter, James, and John, you know, what about, well, Peter, what about me? Uh, he didn't really say that. But, you know, it's like these guys needed their, their, their spiritual eyes opened, just like these men needed their physical eyes opened. And all of us need our spiritual eyes opened. And the, the, the cross of Christ is where we can have them opened, that he did it for us, undeserving sinners. And so that as we take these symbols of his body broken and his blood shed, that we would say, mercy there was great and grace was free. Pardon there was multiplied to me. There my burdened soul found liberty at Calvary. I hope you're free. And if you are, that I invite you to take a few moments and just reflect and get your heart right with God and then take these elements as a remembrance of what God has done for you and rejoice in what he's done. And if you don't know Jesus, my challenge to you is don't wait till tomorrow. Receive him today. Cry out in your need and trust him. Let's pray. Father, I pray for your spirit's work in my heart that I would understand my need for your mercy and when I need it, that I would cry out in faith, believing you for it. I pray that there would be humility in my heart and a tenacity in my soul that you are the only answer for the needs that I have. As a believer, Lord, I rejoice that I have been the recipient of your mercy to salvation. I pray now as a child of God for your grace to bring me home in sanctification. And I pray that for each one here this morning, Lord, that they would either know, that we would all know your grace in saving us and that we would each and every one who is saved seek your grace in sanctifying us. For your glory, we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.